Hey there, and welcome to season two of my story. This is our second episode. Last time in season one of my story, what I did was I started off with a little bit of my story, introducing who I am and what I'm about, as well as some of the things that I had gone through, exposing how God was a part of all of it. And then for the rest of the season, I had some amazing guests on to share with us their stories and how God was there even when they didn't notice. And all of that was with a hope that you would see God woven in the details of your lives, even in the hard times. So if you haven't watched season one, I would really encourage you to do it. It's available on YouTube and all of the podcast channels. It's available on YouTube and all of the podcast formats. So whatever it is, wherever it is that you like to listen to podcasts, you're able to listen to them there. So in this second season, what I'm going to do is share more about my own personal story. Hi, I'm Andrea John. I'm a wife, a mom, a daughter of God, an entrepreneur. I am a project manager, have a full-time job. I love to coach. I'm a certified personal trainer, certified running coach, and a lot more. There's so much more to me that I can't just bucket it all in one. But neither are you. There's so much to you. And all of that deserves to be exposed and out there. Don't put yourself in a box. I'm not in a box, and I want to encourage you to step out of your box. Now, this season is really geared towards helping me heal. I've healed a lot in the last seven years. God encountered me in 2016 in my kitchen. I share about that all the time. And from that moment on, God has been working in my life. And I have many moments of deep impact where God came in and healed me. But there's so much more that God wants to do. And as I go on this journey during this season, and I'm going to be very vulnerable and authentic throughout it, the reason that I'm doing this is really, if I'm being honest, it's about me getting deeper healing. Now, nothing has recently happened. There are no triggers or something that made me think, hmm, I have to fix this. It really was me learning a lot about neuroscience and quantum physics, understanding, um, I guess, generational curses and how it all works, and me getting closer and closer to God and saying, I really want to reflect God well. And there's these little things within me that I'm just like, "Mm, not so happy with, and I want to deal with them. So I began going on this journey, going through a therapy, and it started to expose some things. Now on the surface and people who know me, they'd be like, Andrea, you're, you know, you're okay. You're not messed up. You're not whatever, but I know me and it's not about what it looks like to other people. It's about me getting better and better and reflecting God excellently and well, reflecting who he is. So, you know, do we all have triggers and things that happen? Absolutely we do. But I really want to minimize that because I believe that the Jesus promises are true, that even in the midst of trials and tribulations, that we can have abundance, we can live in abundance. Do you know what that means? It means that we're not just surviving, we're thriving. And I fully believe that and I'm chasing it and I want it because Jesus said it's possible. He said that we would have peace that surpasses understanding. That means that there's a peace that makes no sense to the logical mind. When you look around you, it doesn't make sense to have peace, yet it's still there. Jesus said that we could have that. He said we would have unspeakable joy, the kind of joy that leaves us speechless, that we could live that life of joy, not just have these happy moments here or there, but we live in that constant state of joy. And we can have love, perfect love that removes all fear and the the the, the fear of punishment, all the things that come with that. That's the kind of life Jesus promised. And I am chasing it hard. Um, and I am teaching others how I've accomplished what I've accomplished so far. And I, I still have more to go. So that's what this is about. So while I'm creating these uh, this podcast video and audio, 
um, for you and to hope that it blesses you and helps you, that it brings awareness to the good that God has for us and potentially what's not so good so that you're aware that, hey, that's not God. That's not coming from God. But a good chunk of it is really about my healing. So with that, before I get into what I'm about to get into, I just want to preface it with everything that I am sharing on this episode and future episodes, and I will repeat this on every single one, I am sharing my views, my perspective, my emotions when I share factual stories that happened Obviously, I'm going to share them. Um, I'm going to try to share them as factual as possible. Okay, this is the fact. This is what happened. But there are emotions that took place in that moment and perceptions that I had. um, And I am going to be sharing those from my perspective and my views. Anyone that I speak of in this video or the podcast Um, You know, they have their side and their side is just as valid as my side. So I am sharing my side of the story and I'm going to share facts um, and keep it factual as much as possible. But within those facts, I'm going to share with you what it did to me, how it impacted me and how I'm coming out on the other side and what that looks like. Again, with the hope that it blesses you, it helps you, it helps you leave toxic situations, and it helps you heal, but also with the motive of healing for myself. There is no intention to share names, to bash anyone. I am merely sharing my journey. So this episode is going to be about how I was sexually abused while I was married um, and It's a really difficult topic and truly one, if you listen to the first episode, I kind of share an overarching view of the um, abusive relationship that I was in. I felt I was abused and I share some of those stories. And now each week I'm going to dive a little bit deeper into what that means, what that looks like and how, not only how I experienced it, what my thoughts were behind it, why I was experiencing it, because you may have a loved one going through it. You're not understanding why they're not listening to you. Um, And I'm going to share a little bit of insight because I think we need to have some mercy and grace for people who are in abusive relationships. And then also share what a God, uh, you know, a godly, healthy um, view of the relationship or that situation would look like. So, A a sexual abuse within a marriage is something that's not really talked about because even within the court system, it's very hard for a spouse to claim sexual abuse or rape um, in some cases within the context because you're married and technically you both own each other. That's just the view. Okay, so first, I want us to admit that the reason sexual abuse is not even considered within a context of a marriage is because you both own each other. And there is some scripture to that actually, but also it's a very fine line of that being taken and then, um, you know, like misused, mischaracterized. There's a very fine line to that. So the other thing I want to state is that I see a difference between rape and sexual abuse. And although rape is sexual abuse, I do not believe that all sexual abuse is rape. Um, And within the context of my story, I'm going to share um, that. And hopefully that makes a little bit of sense. So um, within the context of marriage, I don't believe that sexual abuse is possible without some level of psychological abuse. Um, at least within the context of my story, psychological abuse preceded the sexual abuse. Um, and to be honest, um, the psychological abuse wasn't just within the context of my ex-spouse, but within the religion Um, the religious environment and the cultural environment that I was raised around. So I'm going to give you a story to kind of lead us into um, the sexual abuse, but I want to share with you 
this story for you to understand where I was coming from and what my thought process was going into a marriage, but also allowing myself to be abused sexually by my own husband at the time. Um, And this is why to me, there is a difference between rape and sexual abuse because rape is completely 100% um, forced. Um, You know, it's violent in my opinion, uh, you're being, you know, forced to do it. And then within the context of a marriage, it's um, in some ways, there is some sort of consent going on. But again, that's why there's psychological stuff going on before. So I was five or six months pregnant. I don't remember how far along I was. And I had a very difficult um, pregnancy. Okay, I was sick all the time. I mean, I would vomit multiple times a day. Um, brushing my teeth was always a huge effort because I would puke right after. Um, I was swollen all over. Me and pregnancy just did not do well. Okay, so as you can imagine, feeling that way, the last thing you want to do, right, is have sex. And um, it was about five, six months pregnant and um the pastor to the church I was going to called me into his office and my my ex was there so he was my husband at the time and um the conversation that happened was that um my my ex had gone to the pastor and complained that I wasn't having enough sex with him and what proceeded was a conversation about how I'm the wife and I have to give him sex. Um, And I should do it probably every other day to every three days. And I am not exaggerating. This was the conversation that happened. Um, Because if men don't have sex, they get angry. Um, And as the scriptures say, this is what I was taught, as the scriptures say, if I um, don't have sex with him, I'm handing him over to the enemy and causing him to sin. And there are scriptures behind that. So, <laughs> so I was told. Um, and that I had to, so I had to have sex with him because if he sinned, because I wasn't having sex with him, it would, it would be my fault. I'm basically allowing the enemy to, to work in his life. Um, and he also shared with me that his wife knew very well that uh, she had to have sex with him every, every few days. And if he started to get a little temper tantrum or started to get like, you know, a little feisty that all she had to do was give him sex and he'd be fine. So to some of you, this may sound very normal. Um, and to some of you, this you may have your mouth open, like what in the world is happening right now? Yes. That was the, the, um, church mentality I grew up in. That was the culture I grew up in. It was both of it. It was a very misogynist, religion, religious environment, and very misogynist culture, especially the, the, um, religious and cultural environment together, because I was raised in a Brazilian Portuguese church, majority Brazilian, it breeds misogyny. Okay. That's just the reality. It breeds misogyny. When you're mixing extremely religious beliefs with cultural beliefs, misogyny is the way to go. Okay, so that's what I was told by the pastor. And so I, I'm sharing that because I need you to understand that when I say I was forced to have sex and perform sexual acts, it was consensual, but because I was conditioned, programmed, and psychologically led to believe I had to do it. Whether I wanted to or not, I had to do it. Okay, that, that's where all of this comes from. And, you know, there's a verse in 1 Corinthians 7, 5. I'm actually going to read it because a lot of times the scriptures are, are used as, weapon, as a weapon. Um, you know, we always say the word is, is a, a sword, you know, it's a weapon to be used. But it's not a weapon to be used against people. And a lot of times the scripture is used as a weapon against people. And that's not the scripture's intent. Um, so I think it's 
important that we understand the scriptures and that we read the scriptures for ourselves and we know how to defend ourselves because when the scripture is used as a weapon against us, it is false and it is, um, it's a counterfeit. Okay. That's not how it is. So in, um, first Corinthians seven, five, uh, yeah, it says, stop depriving one another. This is talking about marriage. So before this talking about marriage, stop depriving one another. So the idea is that it's talking about sex, except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Like I know people back then who used to have sex, who, sorry, they used to fast and then not have sex with their spouse during, while they were fasting because they felt like it was dirty. And may I just say this, sex is not dirty. We're teaching our kids wrong within the context of church. Um, sex is not dirty. Sex is sacred. So they're two very different things. So I digress. And then it says, and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. This verse was used as a weapon against me for years. And before that, I heard it in the church and by spouses all the time, okay? I was programmed. But when you, when you go and read the scriptures in context, first of all, starting at the first verse um, in that chapter, it says, now concerning the things about which you wrote. So clearly, this church wrote Paul a letter and was asking Paul for advice. And the advice Paul was giving was based on whatever they wrote, of which we don't know. We do not have that letter. And then Paul starts to talk about, you know, um, how it's good for a man not to touch a woman and how within the context of a man talks about adultery, blah, 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 and all that stuff, right? So you can go read it, and I'd highly encourage you to read it. Um, but read it within context because this thing says, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But in Galatians 5.22, what does Paul say about um, self-control? It's a fruit of the Spirit. And if you're led by the Spirit, you will have self-control. So someone who's led by the Spirit will have self-control. And that's important when you read the scripture. So moving on. Okay, so throughout the years, I was forced to have sex numerous times. Um, my ex was had a career where he was away a lot, okay? He traveled a lot. Um, I would say that if you were to calculate the first, I think it was the first eight years of our marriage living together. Um, and I say that because we were married before so that he could get the green card because I gave him I gave him a green card. Um, and then when we got, we only lived together two years after we got married um, because that's when we got married with it, you know, with church and that whole thing. So we were married. My parents didn't know we were married. I, I did it to give him a green card. So in some ways I was kind of locked in <laughs> before we actually got married. Um, but we, after we were living together, I would say he was gone about half of that time, like on and off because of his career. So, uh, I think the marriage lasted as long as it did because of that separation. Um, when you have that separation, it just changes the whole dynamic of the relationship and, when you have a passionate marriage, as they say, um, you know, having that time away helps because it prevents a lot of fighting and all that stuff. And then the coming together, there's an adjustment and then there's like a little honeymoon period and then the fighting starts. And by the time the fighting starts, boom, you got to go again. And then at some point I was traveling for work as well. So I'm, I'm mentioning that because there was always forced sex whether he was leaving or I was leaving, sex had to happen, okay? It was obligation. There was no no not wanting it because if it didn't happen, then I was, I was opening the door for him to have sex with somebody else. Basically, that was the concept. Now, not only did that happen, um, and I'll, I'll share another piece of that in a second, there were different types of sexual acts that occurred that were painful against my will 
um, because I'm his wife and I'm supposed to satisfy his sexual needs. In essence, I was his object. I belonged to him. He owned me and he could do whatever it is that he wanted to. That thought was not just on him. That thought was me too. Okay, that's how I was thinking. So there were times where sex was happening and I was crying during. Yes, sometimes because of pain, but sometimes because of the violation that I was feeling, okay? And I would cry. A lot of times I hit it. And then there were times where I couldn't. And I'd go to the shower immediately after and I would cry. And if he caught me crying, then I was berated with, um, of words that caused me to feel like I was a horrible wife because I didn't want to have sex with him. Why didn't I, why didn't I want to do that? I'm such a horrible wife, you know, and all of that. So, um, that's not healthy. That's not healthy at all. Okay. You as a wife or as a husband, yes, the scriptures, even if you read that passage in first Corinthians, Paul's advice is, you know, like you're one, like you don't belong to each other, but this isn't about saying someone's allowed to take something from you. This is about you give something to someone. Um, and those are two very different concepts. And if someone is taking something from you, then are you really giving it? You're not. Love is about giving. Love is not about taking. Love is about, you know, your, your giving of your heart and yourself. And, and within the context, uh, context of a relationship, you're giving your that level of intimacy where it's not emotional intimacy, but also physical intimacy. And then there's gratification that's happening. Um, and there's a difference between giving and taking, and it should be a cycle. But when the taking is a forceful taking, there's no giving happening. Therefore, there is no love. If you're having sex with your husband because you have to, then there's no love in that. There just isn't, okay? You're, you're turning yourself into an object. Um, I, at the time, I felt like an object. That was my mindset. Um, that's how I thought. Um, I belonged to him, and he could do whatever it is that he wanted because I was a spouse, and he was the head of the household, and I was supposed to submit to him in everything, including that, okay? So that was m- my thought process, and it's not healthy, Um, The other thing is that when drugs and alcohol come into play within that type of thought process, it can turn bad very quickly. So I was on a cruise um, with my ex. We were married at the time. So when I refer to him as my ex, it's because that's what he is. I do not have a relationship with him or with anyone that he has a relationship with. I've completely separated myself uh, from him. And um, so whenever I talk about this stuff, we were married at the time. So he was my husband at the time. Now he's my ex. So my ex was there, my two daughters were there, and his father was there. Um, And I was so excited. His dad had been living with me and His dad was like my dad. I loved his dad, um, and he was a huge support system to me um, because he knew everything that was going on, and that's why he came to live with me. I begged him, I need someone to come because I'm losing my mind, and I don't trust him with my kids, and that's a whole story that maybe I'll dive into in a future episode. So we went on a holiday vacation together, and um, my ex at the time was addicted to a synthetic marijuana called spice. And the reason that he was using spice instead of weed or another drug is because 
of his job and his job required him to be sober and he would have random drug tests. And with spice, um, and there's lots of, na of names for spice, but it's synthetic marijuana, it, it's very hard to get in urine tests because they're always changing the components of the, the drug mixture. It's like a potpourri, they call it, um, of the drug mixture so that it can't be regulated. But when we were going on the cruise, we were going to be there for quite a while and then stay in Florida for a bit. So he decided to buy a huge bag of weed and bring it with him. And I mean, I had to drive us from North Carolina all the way down to Florida because he was high the whole time. And he chose to be high because he didn't have to take a pee test. So he decided he's just going to smoke it. And I was nervous because it's like, you're, you can't take that onto the ship. Like, dude, you can get arrested. But he was convinced that he could smuggle it onto the ship and be fine. And he said, I'm just going to smoke it until it's gone. And um, so, I mean, what was I going to do? So we drove to we drove down to Florida. We got on the cruise. He was able to smuggle it onto the ship. And he's high. And I'm talking about high 24-7. Like as soon as the effects were going away, he's smoking. He's smoking, smoking, smoking. And on top of that, he um, was drinking. So we... Um, we're there overnight. We get to the first island and we uh, head over to a beach and we get to the beach and he turns to us and says, you know, the drinks here at the bar are too expensive. So I'm going to head back uh, to the port and buy a bottle of liquor and bring it back because it's a lot cheaper. So he left us there, me, my two girls and my uh, and my uh, his father um, and I barely had any money. Well, by the time it came for us to head back to the ship, because I don't know if you've gone on a cruise, but if you're not back there on time, they will leave without you. So it was time to head back and he was nowhere to be found and he wasn't answering his phone. We didn't know where he was. Um, and I had, thankfully I spoke Spanish and I had to go to the vans and negotiate getting four people on a van with very little money. So we got back to the port looking for him, couldn't find him, got back on the ship, nothing. And, um, you know, constantly calling security, asking if he'd swipe himself in, for those of you who know how cruises work. And um, what happened was eventually I heard my name on the overhead and I was called to go to my cabin. So me and my fam, me, the girls and his father head over to the cabin and security tells me that they had to escort him onto the ship. He was being very obnoxious, rude, and I guess over the top, and that they had just locked the mini bar and he had to stay in the room and I had to stay in there with him so that he could sleep it off. We weren't allowed out. We couldn't use our card for anything and the mini bar was locked down. So, okay. So his dad went to his cabin with uh, one of the girls and my oldest one wanted to stay with me, Anna. Um, so she stayed in the room with us. Well, good thing, bad thing, I still don't know. But my ex started to try to have sex with me, with my daughter in the room. And he was being very aggressive and um, violent and when he punched me in my stomach and knocked me onto the bed, Anna ran out of the room to go get her grandfather. Um, so Anna um, comes back with his dad and my other daughter. And, um, you know, they start arguing, him and his dad, because his dad saw what was happening. And he punched me yet another time and was trying to do it even with them in the room. And um, his dad took a, a bed sheet and tied his hands up um, because it was like we didn't know how to stop him and we couldn't go anywhere. So he tied his hands up um, and was like, I'm just gonna stay here. And he stayed there until he went to sleep. 
Um, and then when he went to sleep, he left. Anna didn't want to leave, so Anna stayed there. Like, she just didn't trust me being there with him, and she stayed there and slept there. And um, I did write a little bit something about what it was like the next morning when I woke up. Um, that was, like, crazy. And um, I've shared this story with my husband, Mike, now, um, but very few people know about that story. Um, you know, it's thankfully my daughter was there. I think I would have just let him do it if she wasn't there. Um, but yeah, that was, um, the most aggressive and physical time that he had done something like that because he punched me in my stomach twice. Um, but yeah, so, and he was completely out of his mind. Um, and he wasn't allowed to drink, um, for the rest of the, the, the trip. Um, I was in the most beautiful of places, um, gorgeous beaches. And I just wanted to go back home to North Carolina. Like I didn't want to be there. It was the worst vacation of my life. Um, but that was the first thing that happened that caused me to say, I have to get out because last episode, um, if you listen, I talk about the moment where I decided it was, it was like done and I had to leave was when he got aggressive with my daughters. And it was that same vacation time that he got aggressive with them. And, um, he was high. So he was, um, smoking marijuana 24 seven on top of drinking. And then on top of that, he was sniffing something and I had no idea. Like he went to the car one day and just sniffed something and he was already high and drunk. And I was just like, wow, this is really, really bad. Um, so substance abuse obviously doesn't help the situation when you have unhealthy thoughts. And I was just in this miserable place. And it took that to realize I'm in a very dangerous predicament. And this in a, in a moment, this can go south really fast, like really fast. Um, you know, you always think like, oh, they wouldn't do that. Oh, they wouldn't. But man, when, when not only alcohol and drugs come into play, but when excessive anger happens and there's these switches in your brain that go off and you're able to compartmentalize and there's the anger you you don't like things can just turn so quickly and it's scary and it got scary for me um so obviously that was not good and that's not okay ever um and it's important that you get out before you find yourself in that type of situation Unfortunately, my daughter had to witness that. And at the time, she was um, a seven, eight, I think. Yeah, so she was really young when she witnessed that. Um, so there's that one. And towards the tail end of the marriage, um, I every time we did have sex, I would get vaginal infections. Um, specifically, I would get different kinds, but specifically I would get uh, bacterial vaginosis all the time. Um, so much so that the doctor gave me these homeopathic pills to take every time I did have sex so that I, um, wouldn't have to constantly go to the doctor because it was, it was that bad. Um, when I was on vacation and things like that, it was just every single time. And he would make me feel bad for getting infections. When I would get an infection, he would say how, oh, it's because I'm allergic to him and kind of make me feel bad. Like it was my fault that I was getting the infections. And I went to the doctor. I took out my ID. I changed my birth control. I did all these things thinking that somehow I was to blame and was the cause of these infections. Okay. So this is where I'm saying that there's psychological abuse that precedes it. And you start to feel like it's your fault. So, I mean, it was constant all the time. 
Well, in January of 2015, um, when I asked him to leave, to leave, I was ready to end the marriage. I realized it was really toxic. Um, he went to, he had this place that he was able to live at for free. Thankfully made it a little bit easier on my conscience to have him leave. Cause then he wasn't on the streets. And, um, yeah, I did care. Um, that's the one thing like when you love somebody and then the relationship turns abusive, even though it's not really love and it becomes its unhealthy attachment or dependency to the person, they see it as love. Um, so it's very easy for us to look and be like, that's not love. But when you're in it, you really do feel like it's love and you really do care about the person. Like you married them for a reason. You know what I mean? Like, you know, things about that person that other people don't know that um, intrigue you and that you fell in love with. That's just the reality of how it was. So I asked him to leave and um, he got arrested for larceny. Um, he was extremely drunk driving, but he got arrested for larceny like two weeks after that. Well, I would say two months after I had him leave, um, the and I shared this in um, my My Story video from season one, so you, you could go back and listen to it. I'm going to share it from a little bit more of a vulnerable and authentic perspective now. Um, but I, I would, had someone over the house that I was coaching They're Christian. Um, and I was, I was a fitness trainer at the time. So she was over for a coaching session and I get a knock on the door. And just before that, um, my ex had come to pick up the girls cause he was going to stay with the girls for the weekend. Cause again, we weren't living together. So, um, he came and picked up the girls and he left and then the health department, um, I got a knock on the door and it was the health department. And I go down and and he tells me, um, have you been told that you've been exposed to syphilis? And I said, what's syphilis? I didn't know what syphilis was. Like I was raised in the church, knew nothing about sex or STDs or anything like that. I didn't really, I was not sexually promiscuous. Like I didn't, no. So I was just like, what's syphilis? And no, how would I know that? And he said, your husband um, came in and he has an infection. And we told him that he needed to tell you that you may have been exposed and you needed to come in for testing. Uh, we've been trying to get a hold of you, but he gave us the wrong number. I believe he was just here in a white car and when I asked him if he knew knew you, he said, no, he didn't know. And um, he knew something was off um, because of the way he was behaving. So he went to the clubhouse. We lived in apartments at the time. And he went to the, the front at the clubhouse and waited for him to leave. And when he saw him leave, he came back. So the person I was training um, was, was a, a nurse. So I asked the gentleman to give me a moment and I go and I ask her like, hey, what's syphilis? And she said, don't worry about it. I'm just confused because the health department doesn't usually make house visits. They usually call. Um, so let's make sure this is real. And she told me what to ask him uh, and how to validate that he was truly from the health department. And she told me what to ask because I had no idea what was happening. So I go downstairs and I um, ask him and she's listening and he answers all the questions and tells me like that I have to get tested. There is absolutely no choice um, in the matter because it's highly contagious and I could give it to someone else. So we need to close the loop much similar to HIV. So talk about freaking out. Now, a little caveat to this story. This is how I found out that I was cheated on. Okay, the health department coming to my door and telling me that I was exposed to an STD. That's how I found out that my ex was with other people and clearly not so clean people. Okay, which wasn't a big shocker. And I'll share about that in the future. 
But I went up and I told her, she heard, and she closed her notebook and said, hey, our meeting's done. We're going to pray right now. And that was, that's one of the reasons I shared that story in season one was because that was a moment where God was there. And I can't say I didn't see him, but he totally protected me in that moment by having that person there with me. And she prayed for me when I needed it. And she was a very prophetic woman. I didn't even know what prophetic was at the time, but she spoke to me. Um, God spoke to me through her. Um, And a peace came over me. And usually I would have called him and told him off and confronted him and all this stuff. Like I had done that so many times in the past with so many different things. But the peace of God, the peace that makes no sense of logical mind totally filled my soul. And that whole weekend he was with the girls and I didn't even contact him or call him Um, what I did was I realized because now I had this knowledge of he's been cheating on me and putting me in harm's way by exposing me to STDs because he was coming home after nights of drinking and forcing me to have sex with him when he was having sex with other women when he was out. And there were times he wouldn't come home till the next day. So now the sexual abuse was complicated and twisted because now I'm having sex with someone who's exposing me to things that are harmful to my health and knowingly doing it and clearly having unprotected sex with someone else, and then coming home and forcing me to have sex at three, four o'clock in the morning because he's drunk and he wants it. Um, And I did go get tested. Um, The first test came back inconclusive, so I wound up getting the shot. Um, And after that, my tests came back negative after some time. Um, When I did confront him about it after that weekend, he told me basically that um, not to listen to them, that they're really out to get them and threw the race card in there. So um, it was just crazy. I mean, why would the health department be out to get him and try to turn me against him? It was just really twisted, but he was just trying to protect himself. So, you know, people, when they get into that state, they're willing to do anything. But with all of that, now that we're reaching the end of our time for this episode, um, you know, all these things that I mentioned, they're not healthy. And like I said, I have no desire to encourage divorce or to um, promote divorce in any form or fashion. I believe that marriage is a covenant made between man, woman, and God. And when it's done, it's sacred, and we should keep our covenant together. And when there is a breaking like divorce, it is painful. Like I said, I went through all this stuff, and when the decision was made to divorce, there was a breaking in the spirit, and it was painful. And I did experience depression and anxiety for for a bit. Um, So it is painful. But if you're experiencing any of these things, um, first, let me talk about to someone who is experiencing this. If you're experiencing this, I'm not saying get a divorce and leave. I'm saying you need to step away for a moment and talk to someone and get yourself to safety. You need to be in an environment that is filled with love and gives you the freedom to think, to process things, and truly assess what's happening. Um, And you deserve that. You need to take that moment and you need to do that. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying leave, divorce, you know, I'm not saying divorce and that's the end of it. I'm saying you need to leave that environment Find someone who can give you wise counsel, not someone who's going to tell you what you want to hear, not someone who's going to pat you on the back. No, you need wise counsel. 
Okay, go to therapy, go somewhere, go to a church and find someone who can truly help you. But know you need to you need to have the freedom to think and to process this and realize is this what God wants for me? Because I guarantee you that the things that I just expressed today that I went through, that was not what God wanted for me. And in the covenant of of a relationship like marriage, God isn't saying you need to submit to that and you need to deal with it because now you're in a covenant. Now you're a victim to that covenant. You are not a victim. And if anyone was violating the covenant, it was him and it was not me. I fully see that now. I didn't see it for a long time, but I see it now. If you are the family member of someone who you know is experiencing abuse, I need you to understand that you have to be cautious with how you approach this person and how pushy you become with trying to get them to leave. My mother had I mean, my mom had wisdom in this area. My mom, she didn't know the details, and I didn't tell her till the health department came to my door what was happening. But my mom really respected my marriage. Um, And she did say things every once in a while, but she never pushed. She never got involved. I I was in a marriage relationship, and I was supposed to leave my mother and my father. And I did, and they were always in my life, and they loved me even still, Um, but they never pushed. And um, they kind of waited till I was ready to see it. I also didn't share information with them um, because I knew that if I was open about what was happening, they probably would have gotten really upset. My my brother, like if I talk about some of this stuff, he gets really annoyed. Um, You know, like it, it feels... It it makes people angry when they hear that someone is doing this kind of stuff to someone they love. Um, But you need to approach that person and really speak to that person. Speak to who they are. Remind them you are loved. You deserve to be loved. You deserve to be respected and honored. Um, You deserve to be be treated like with females, I would say you deserve to be treated like a queen at a minimum, a princess. And if that's not happening, you need to take a moment. But to the loved ones, just remind them of who they are. Um, Not what they're doing, not what they have to do. No, remind them of who they are in God, who God designed them to be, and allow them the opportunity to realize, hey, what I'm experiencing in the, in life right now doesn't match who I am. And at some point, when the scale flips and who they are really weighs more than how they're being treated, they'll suddenly have the courage to step away because it gives you autonomy when you realize this isn't this isn't what I deserve. This is who I am, really, and I don't deserve this. And it gives them the autonomy to step away um, when needed and then come to you. What you don't want to do is close the door to them coming to you when they need something. This is why you not pushing too hard is extremely important. So um, that's the advice of someone who's been through it um, and how to reach someone. If you have questions, you're always welcome to message me or contact me. Um, I've received quite a few messages uh, since I put the first episode out there. Um, I'm happy to help. I don't have all the answers. My experience isn't like everyone else's experience. Everyone experiences things very uniquely. Every situation is a situation. Um, But there are some guiding points. And I hope that some of the things I shared today, um, that you can see clearly how those things are not healthy and how you deserve to be respected and honored um, every day. So guys, that is it for this week. I know I covered some heavy stuff. Uh, This is not easy for me to talk about. Um, But I can say that I can see the healing when I can talk about it and not feel angry about it and or cry about it. 
Um, it gets a little emotional sometimes, but I, it doesn't even feel like me anymore. Like, really? That was me? I went through that? It just, I've gotten to that point. And just know that if you're someone experiencing this um, or you've just gotten out of it, it does get better. And um, healing is possible. Um healing where it doesn't hurt anymore. It doesn't affect your life anymore in a negative way. If anything, it fuels you to be better. Um, it's not possible without Jesus. I'll be honest with you. Um, Jesus has been my everything and I've only been able to get where I am because of him and because of God and the Trinity, Holy Spirit, all of it. So just deepening my relationship with them has helped me to heal and get to where I am now, where I can talk to you about it without resentment, without anger, without pain, um, and without desire to destroy another human being, because I can't say that was the case a few years ago. So that's it, guys. Again, my name is Andrea John. I am a person just like you. I love Jesus. I am seeking after him. I am going after him and my pursuit of him right now is bringing healing into my story. And I hope that my healing story can be of hope and help to you so that you can be drawn closer to God and know that he loves you so much and he has all good things for you. And this bad stuff that you may be experiencing, he doesn't want it for you and he's not asking you to tolerate it. He's not God would never ask you to tolerate pain for his sake. The sacrifice has already been made. You do not have to sacrifice for him. You are not anyone's savior. You cannot save anyone. That's Jesus' job, and he already did it. But what you can do is be a helper to someone and to be their helpmate and their partner in life, and that's what being a spouse is. So guys, you have a wonderful week. Reach out if you want and let me know if you have any questions because I'll be more than happy to address questions in the next podcast. So I'll see you guys next week. Bye.